Welcome. Welcome to the Grow People podcast. Uh, that is Pastor Jason with the big welcome. <laughs> I was trying um, to get it in there early. Yeah, he created the welcome culture. It, it, we thought it was Abraham, but it was it's actually you. Uh, Abraham was in the Bible? <laughs> I think so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> From the time of Abraham all the way to Revelation was yeah. the welcome culture. Yeah. Um, my name is David Stein. Um, very welcoming also. Uh, I started on the welcome team here. Yeah, yeah. I was a greeter. I feel like you did the welcoming culture. Yeah. <laughs> uh, campus pastor here uh, in uh, Canton. <laughs> uh, the, the, per- the Canton campus pastor. The purpose of the Grow People podcast is to help grow people. You pulled away on the I know, help I, part, I, too. I did. Yeah. I did. It's been a couple of weeks. It feels, I just like, don't it feels like it was uh, less emphasis there. It's like, uh, what is that? That show with Mike Myers, you put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Yes, uh, what he was, was a, that? He was a uh, airline stewardess. A movie? Remember. Yeah, it was a movie. No, I never saw it. Yeah, it was pretty funny. So that's where that comes from, because Leanna says that all the time. Oh yeah, it's from that movie. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Okay. So it feels like that's what you did. Okay. Like, I did put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> well, it's actually uh, view from the top. There you go. View Thanks, from the Brian. top. View okay. from the top. Excellent. Yeah. Well, well played. Funny movie. Brian Damaro, our uh, producer of the Grow People podcast. It's actually uh, Damaro. <laughs> <laughs> is it Damaro? It is. Have I been saying it wrong for seven years? And now you're my friend. Mm, okay. I don't worry. I've been saying it wrong for 20 years. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was your student. Well, how did you pronounce it when he was your student? Damaro. Okay. <laughs> Damaro. I've never said it correctly. You've, and you've never corrected me on that. No. It's Steen, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Kuba said try his. Yeah. <laughs> Pushakovsky. Yeah. There we go. Mm-hmm. Jakob Pushakovsky. Uh, Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Uh, uh, that's right. Rosh Hashanah. For the Jewish calendar. Yes. Uh, it's the year 5784. I am still writing, writing 50, 5783 on my checks. I knew that joke was coming. Yeah. I was just waiting. I've been waiting every year, uh, and it's always it's always funny. Now, there will be a time where nobody remembers what a check is, and and then it won't be that funny. Yeah, I actually had to write a check to our church the other day <laughs> because I uh, well, Lindsay got a speeding ticket. And like right here on exit 19, where okay. it's like a school zone. Uh-huh. So she got a speeding ticket and I accidentally paid it with our church credit card. <laughs> and so Megan on our team was like, uh, what is this like speed violation? So I was like, oh, I actually I had to, so I had to write the check, write the church a check. And in doing that, I told her same kind of thing. I'm like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I never write checks. So. Hey, yeah. that's a, that's a great illustration of how good we are at stewardship. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, and I use I use stewardship examples of how the church stewards finances. Yeah. In our stewardship class, so maybe that'll be the. You can put that in there. That'll be the new illustration. Yeah, I even pay for my own speeding. Mm-hmm. Well, pay for my wife's speeding. Grace, <laughs> grace. I didn't commit the sin, but I paid it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is, will lead in today's message. Y- yes, it will. Well. Yeah. Yes, it will. Um, yeah. So, uh, beginning of the new year, uh, we started with the traditional matzo ball soup. Have you, you did. have you had the matzo ball soup? I don't think I have. Yeah, no. yeah. It's it's an art. You you can't just make matzo ball soup. When mm. when Leanne and I had COVID, so we got COVID August 2021, mm-hmm. and everybody's bringing us food. We didn't want to eat. We couldn't taste the food, but everybody's bringing us food, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, and three people uh, brought us matzo ball soup. 
what, what do you bring the Jewish pastor? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, bring, you bring a matzo ball. And it was really good. And I was surprised because, mm. you know, they're Gentiles. They don't know how to make matzo yeah. ball soup. <laughs> and and uh, so we had a, a neighbor this week who was Jewish. And he said, hey, come on over Saturday for matzo ball soup. Well, my mom makes the best matzo ball soup. Of course. Now, yeah. she doesn't listen to the podcast. So I'm, yeah. I'm good saying this. I come from a family of, and they're notorious, bad cooks. Mm. Yeah, like everybody in the family, not, no good cooks in the family. But my mom's matzo ball soup is amazing. Mm. And the matzo ball is light and fluffy. That's how you know it's a good matzo ball soup. These folks on Saturday made a better matzo ball than my mom. Wow. I ain't telling her. That's, yeah, that's saying a lot. <laughs> I ain't telling her. Yeah. Uh, but, it, yeah, it was great. When was the was Saturday the first day? Friday night, and then Saturday, and okay. so it's Friday night set into Saturday night. The New Year is two days, okay? Because you know we don't get enough guilt on one. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, there is certain things like that, like different traditions celebrate different things, yeah. you know, like that. And there are times where it's like I could get down with being that culture for that tradition, yeah. You know, so that's a good one. I like that. Yeah, yeah. two days. Yeah, and it's it's a very it's a you know, it's the Feast of Trumpets. Yeah. And and it's, you celebrate the new year. Yeah. And then 10 days later, you mourn the Yom Kippur. Yeah. Know, the Day of Atonement. Yeah. But once you once you atone that day, you good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny how different, like, do you know why that became the new year? Like, I don't think that's biblical. The, it? the beginning of the Jewish calendar? No, Hebrew calendar? the matzo ball soup. Oh, the matzo yeah. ball soup. <laughs> like, how did that tradition uh, It's an Eastern, Eastern European. Okay. Most, most traditional Jewish food is Eastern European. Okay. So the matzo ball is made out of what's called matzo meal. Mm -hmm. Nobody, it's like manna. Nobody knows what it is. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just ground up. It, it's almost like breadcrumbs made out of matzo. Yeah. And then there's some type of leavening agent that goes into it. Yeah. That's biblical. Yeah. Um, and then it, it's formed in a ball. And you, if you freeze it for a period of time, then when you put it in the soup, it makes it lighter. Gotcha. I just, it's like when, like here in America, people eat black eyed peas on New Year's. Right. So I just wonder, like, how did that come about? I, I only remember it at Passover because... You know, we would not eat leavened bread yeah, during course. Passover. Yeah. So I only remember mom making it during Passover, but okay. I'll eat it anytime. It's all good. All right. We're going to start out with a, uh, a, little, a little game. We're going to play a little game. Okay. I'm going to give you a date in history. Oh, gosh. And then you have to tell me what is historic about that date. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Ready? I should have allowed my coffee to kick in a little bit. <laughs> September 21st. 2008 September 21st 2008 so we are talking many years ago September 21st 2008 think about what would be happening in September something that you would enjoy perhaps something played with a pigskin yeah um, <laughs> that's what I was trying to <laughs> is that when Texas beat Ohio State um, it would be the last time that the Texas Longhorns and the Dallas Cowboys were undefeated this late in the season. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they were both 3-0 and at yeah. that point. And, of course, Texas could go 3-0. and Yes. Or they are 3-0. and Cow are. The Cowboys could be 3-0 Yes, this we weekend. could be. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, two of my pastor buddies from Texas, we were all on staff. We text every 
every game. And we were texting this weekend after the Cowboys win that this has been the greatest start to football, the football season in a long time. Since yeah. 2008. Yeah. So apparently I can tell them. I yeah, did, did some research. Yeah. yeah. And we've all been saying, like, I don't really know how to feel. Like, this is... A, it, it, I'm sure it's weird. It is weird. It's strange. It, it's like being a Philadelphia... Uh, any Philadelphia fan right now. It, it, we're in kind of a renaissance. The Phillies are good. The Eagles are good. Yeah. It's very strange. It is strange. You know, and we are the worst fans. Mm-hmm. So, we booed Santa Claus. <laughs> and threw snowballs at him. Yeah. Ice balls. Yeah. Ice, well, he, granted, he was drunk. <laughs> do, you know, do you know the story? No, I don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Eagles were bad for decades. Yeah. So it's like late 60s. I want to say 68. It was before they went to Veterans Stadium. So they're playing in Franklin Field. It's the last game of the season. And they need a Santa Claus to come out at halftime. And they can't find one. I I don't know if the Santa Clauses went on strike or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to ask Santa Doug. Yeah. uh, Do you ever go on strike? And so they got a guy in the stands who was wearing a Santa Claus suit. And he had been drinking yeah. all day. Yeah. So he comes out and and a hammered Santa Claus is not what they were looking for. <laughs> Plus the frustration of the Eagles being like two and eleven or whatever they yeah. were at the time. And they just started booing him. Mm. And then it had been snowing, so they started throwing Don't snowballs say. and ice balls at him. <laughs> that is historically where the bad rap on Philadelphia fans got came from. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How quickly we forget freedom. Hashtag Declaration of Independence. Yeah. Hashtag cheesesteak. Hashtag. There's not many soft, other things. Soft, soft pretzel. Redeeming. Valley Forge. Hashtag Betsy Ross. Yes. That's about it. Yeah. Everything you just described was over 200 years ago. So. <laughs> <laughs> what have you done for me lately, there's not Philadelphia? Much, uh, there's not much good going on in Philly these days. Well, um, Let's move on. <laughs> okay. Predestination. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's talk. Is that the only date we're going to? That, that's Yeah, that was all I had. Oh, okay. No, yeah, I, okay. I did a lot of research for that. Like, I went, I went deep that's into no, the yeah. internet for yeah. that. Yeah. I had to Google several things. Yeah. No, I mean, you got me. So, I mean, I, I assumed A, being September had something to do with football. Yeah. And that's why I was trying to think, okay. Because Texas was good in 08 and 09, but I wasn't even thinking about Mm -hmm. Texas and the Cowboys. Well, not that we promote gambling, but the over-under on you mentioning Texas beating Alabama in the sermon uh, was one and a half minutes. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And if you you took the under, you won. Yeah. (laughs) That was funny. Yeah. Did we talk about that last? No. The last podcast? Mm -mm. Yeah, because we, um, obviously, it was a late game Saturday night, and... So I didn't say anything on Thursday about Mm it. And then after Saturday night, I was like, I got to say it somehow, but I didn't want to come out and make it obvious, you know? So by just throwing it in there, it was funny. It was nice. It was subtle. It got the Alabama fans. Yeah. There was like a lot of laughter, Mm -hmm. but then there was a few, like I could tell, I could, I could tell who the Alabama fans were. Cause it was like, ha 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 ha. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think I heard a roll tide. I've, I did at, uh, I think, the 1150. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. Like, bless. Yes. They only know two words. That's... Yeah, and then they, <laughs> yeah. That's... I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm kidding. It's a Texas one. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, here we go. Okay. Yeah. Uh, is Brian Damero? <laughs> yeah. Um, are you a Texas fan? 
He yes, is. sir. Okay. Yes. All right. Hit me, him, and Chris Bennett. Right. Who is um, does a lot of production stuff. One of our longtime team members here. We always text on Texas games as well because Bennett went to school at Texas. So we will always like we had a thread going that night as well. Well, uh, before the foundation of the earth, uh, God knew that the Longhorns would be undefeated. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Speak, uh, speaking of before the foundation yeah. of the earth, uh, you um, preach, were preaching through uh, Ephesians, uh, started with Ephesians 1. How are we preaching through it? Verse by verse. Yeah. How else would you do it? <laughs> Well, that's why I bring that yeah. up. Yeah. Am I the only one that says verse by verse? No, no. It's not that you're the only one that said it. It's that you, how much emphasis you put on. Yeah. Like, because you're right. How else would we do it? Right. It, but it, it is verse by verse. But it's, it's exciting. It's like saying really unique. No, no. Yeah. I, I totally did. I could not disagree more. Because if we're preaching through it, it is verse by verse. Well, some... Some churches would preach through it and then just pick a verse here and pick a verse there, and that's not what we do. We go through them all. Yeah, because they, by definition, they would be wrong. Yes. So we are right by definition. So by definition, it's verse by verse. It is, yes. Any hoodles. Um, so uh, first week was just the greeting, which was so rich you could have spent weeks in just the greeting. I could have, yeah. And then verses three through six, and... Uh, just the understanding of worship. First, let's talk about worship yeah. and how that relates to predestination and the doctrine of grace. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Uh, and, and like I said in the message, verses 3 through 14 in the Greek is one sentence. Um, so it might be the longest sentence in the Bible. I'd have to check that out. We're going right. sentence by sentence. We're going sentence by <laughs> sentence. Yeah. <laughs> We're going word by word. <laughs> We're going letter by letter. <laughs> We're going precept by whatever. Um, so it is one really long sentence. And in that whole sentence, he's talking. It's it's honestly a part of the, not a part of the greeting as much as it is a part of like the, the beginning part of a thought. Because mm -hmm. obviously Paul's writing this letter to a group of people to give them instructions, which he's going to do starting in chapter four. Um, as we've said, like half of the book, the first half is written in the indicatives about what God has done. The second half is in the imperatives about what we're supposed to do. Um, so as Paul is doing that, he's, he's starting to explain at the beginning of the letter what God has done, which we'll get into, you know, talking about God saving us, choosing us in Christ. But what was cool to me as, and I, honestly, I didn't, um, I, I, it wasn't until I started studying that verse and, and studying other people that have preached on that verse or taught on that verse that I felt like I saw or, and it was pointed out that Paul starts with worship. Hmm. And then maybe it's because of, of how it's read in our English when it just says, blessed be, we don't think of that as worship. Um, like it, he doesn't start off saying let's worship God, right. you know? Um, but it's very interesting and amazing to me that he starts off there talking about how we should, cause the word, as I said, the word blessed be is the word eulogy. So he's saying, let's say good words mm. about God. 
who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And the reason why that's important now, like looking at it, is before we have debates over how we're saved or, you know, sovereignty versus free will, we before so we before we disagree about that, we should agree that regardless, we should worship God. Mm-hmm. You know, we should worship God over the fact that he has saved us in Christ. And that's what was really cool to me to start off the message in that way, really kind of starting off the letter in that way, is regardless of how it has happened, we should worship about the fact that it has happened, um, that God in Christ has made us holy and made us his. He has That was his whole purpose in doing what he did. And therefore, we can worship about that. And, and then just describing what worship itself is, which all of our worship leaders do such a great job of, of helping describe that to us. Um, and really worship at the end of the day is so much more than singing. You know, we can wrongly think it just is singing. And, and, it, and as I said in the message, it definitely includes singing. It's not just limited to singing, mm-hmm. like the Romans 12, 1 reference. It is our whole life in response to God's action. And as Paul said, that's the only thing that's logical. That's the only thing that makes sense. Um, because when you see what God has done, as he said, when you get God's ver- mercy in view, when you see that, worship is saying back to God, you're worth it. You are, and if you, again, as I said, the word worship, which I didn't know until I was studying it, in Old English was literally worship. Um, we just took off the T and the H. So worship is showing worth. Um, and we should do that in our singing, in our words. And that's part of why we sing. And that's part of why singing is so powerful is when, when we are taking some, you know, whether it's 20 minutes in one of our, of our gatherings and we are expressly saying good words back to God, mm. of course, that's going to be powerful. Yeah. And we're going to feel the Holy Spirit in that because there's nothing more that the Holy Spirit loves to do than to do that. Like anytime we get visions of heaven, of, of God, there's always angels singing. They're always singing. Um, they're always singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because they're always describing his worth. They're not because he demand, like not because he's going to get mad if we don't. It's not that idea. Like he somehow needs us to do that. But it, it's like when you walk by and you see a beautiful art or you see an amazing creation, you can't just walk by and be like, oh, that's cool. It stops you in your track and you just like, oh my gosh, it's mm-hmm. amazing. Mm. Um, well, if something created is does that to you, what would something that's uncreated do? Mm. And so that's what's really amazing about this text is Paul starts there. He starts with worship. Um, and then he gets into what leads us to worship is who God is and what God's done. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a much better place, I think, to start than this get right in and let's talk about predestination. Right. You know, right. because that one can unnecessarily be controversial. Yeah. And, and I liked how you uh, emphasized this is not controversial, it's complex. Yes but it has been historically made controversial in the church. 
Yeah, it has. And and I'm not saying it's not worthy, uh, like we shouldn't have debates about it. Mm -hmm. We totally should, um, because it is important. Like we should have conversations about it. But I think anytime we're talking about something we're passionate about, uh, even like we're talking about Texas and Alabama, we're passionate about what we, our affections, what we love. And so there, then therefore naturally it's going to feel like we're putting ourselves against somebody. And that's what I think we have to be careful when it comes to this doctrine is uh, as I tried to say in the message, people, we will disagree about the order. You know, if grace preceded faith, and by grace, I mean regeneration, you know, did God regenerate us by the spirit work of grace? And then we responded in faith or did I initiate it by having faith and then God regenerated? That is the historic debate, you know, which came first. Um, and so when we have that conversation, naturally we're going to get passionate about it. But that's one thing that I tried to say, and, and really how I have had this conversation with many, many people that go to our church, even pastors outside of our church. I'll say, hey, before we, before we sit here and try to convince each other why the other one's wrong, can we just agree to disagree that as long as we agree faith and grace, then we're good. Mm -hmm. Like, well, let's agree on that, that it requires faith and it requires grace. Okay. Now we can talk about the order because I want to, I want to show that we, there's much more common ground. And what I mean by that is it is a complex issue. Um, but we don't need to, we can agree that it's complex and we can disagree about the complexities, but we don't need to make it controversial. Yes. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. So, so in that, you know, Paul starts out in verse four and he's pretty clear and, and you emphasize there really is no other way to read these words. He chose us. Yeah. So let's start there. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big place to start, you know. Uh, and, and again, this is where I think people, one of my big pet peeves is, and, and again, this is a theological pet peeve, is when people act like, and I think a lot of times unintentionally, that if we say God chose, that that is somehow cancels out our choice. And so therefore, if God chose we can't choose or we're just robots. Um, and they automatically think, well, if this means this, then it means this. Mm -hmm. And that's just not true uh, because the Bible does hold things in tension. And so in so doing, they people start to think, well, if, if God chose, if this means this, then this means this, then I can't believe that that's true because I can't believe in that kind of God. Mm. Um, that's where I get, I'm like, oh, hold on, hold on a second. Um, what do you mean that kind of God? And they're making an assumption that it's somehow sinful or wrong or unjust or unjust for God to choose. And that's where I think we have to be super, super careful about, again, we, and part of what I want to do today on this podcast is let's talk about meanings of words. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of times what happens is people reject certain viewpoints because they're making a, a wrong assumption on what that means. 
And that's where I think we have to be careful is when people say, well, if God chose, then how can God choose and we still choose? Well, so, uh, number one, you're not God. Mm-hmm. And so Amen. You can't, <laughs> you can't understand this to the level that God chose. But secondly, what do you mean by free will? Um, and that's where I have learned over the years. And R.C. Sproul has helped me with this, who was arguably one of the greatest theologians alive until he died a few years ago. But his book, Willing to Believe, traces out the concept of free, human free will. And that's where I think people misunderstand what these verses mean, because they think, uh, they think human free will means we are completely free to choose right and wrong. We are complete. They, they have what RC would say is a secular viewpoint mm-hmm. of free will. And this is where a lot of well-meaning Christians don't, don't understand philosophically that the viewpoint that they hold is fundamentally unbiblical. Yes. Yeah. And, and you started that two weeks ago yeah. by talking about Adam yes. and, and passe Picare and passe non Picare. Yes. Adam had the choice to sin or not sin. Yes. We don't. We don't. So Adam was utterly free. So again, the idea of human free will that Adam freely chose. Now, again, this is where that reading of that text, well, God chose before the foundation of the world that Adam would choose that. Well, how is Adam completely free? Well, because he was created to be completely free. Again, apparent contradictions in the human mind are not in the mind of God. They, that's what Isaiah means when he says his ways are higher, his thoughts are higher. We're not going to understand it. And just because one thing is true doesn't mean that this other thing is not true. He cannot contradict himself, nor can his word contradict himself. No, but he can choose. Uh, he can make choices. God is. So Adam was free. Adam was more free than us. And God is more free than Adam. Mm-hmm. If you know, if you think about it in terms of freedom. Um, so yeah, Adam had the ability to sin or not sin. So Adam, what we were just talking about had what we would think about free will. Now the secular viewpoint of free will is only Adam had that mm-hmm. he had the ability to choose or not to choose since Adam, no human being after that, uh, had that, has that choice. And that's why Paul in Colossians and Galatians and elsewhere picks up the idea of Jesus as the second Adam or the last Adam until Jesus came along. Um, which is why Jesus had to come is Jesus had to possess an ability that Adam had that no other human being has. So good. And so therefore we're either in Adam or we're in Christ. That's the argument that Paul is making. Mm -hmm. If we are in Adam, then we are dead in our trespasses and sins. If we are in Christ, then we are alive um, because Christ has died for our sins. So again, theologically, everybody, anybody that's evangelical believes that you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. The question is, how did I get in Christ? How did I move from being in Adam to in Christ? And that's where the plain reading of that scripture, Paul is saying, it's because God chose you to be in Christ. Um, 
And that's when we get into the, the idea of like, well, that's not fair. Why did God choose some and why did he not choose others? And that's what, well, hold on. What do you mean by fair? Like, mm-hmm. what is fairness? Um, well, fairness is everybody gets the same opportunity. Okay. Everybody has the same opportunity. They have the opportunity to choose, but they are always and only going to choose sin. So if God was fair in that definition, he would never choose anybody. Um, because everybody freely sins. And that's the idea of, again, it's like, what do you mean by free will? Free will, a biblical understanding of free will is you're, ensla- you're not free. Mm-hmm. You are enslaved to your sin. Now you freely choose sin, but you are enslaved to it. And without the intervention of God, you will always and only forever choose sin. Well, if God was going to be completely fair, then he would just let everybody choose sin. Mm-hmm. And he would just judge everybody. And he wouldn't have grace on anybody. Um, because again, he owes grace to no one. That's like saying, and I use this example, a judge in a courtroom owes like if somebody's committed a crime, he owes them to let them off for that crime. No, he doesn't. Mm-mm. No judge owes anybody grace. All they owe them is justice. You broke the crime, you do the time. That's all they owe them. Um, that's fair. Mm-hmm. But God is, is not only fair, he's gracious. And so therefore, God... So there are some people, like if we were to draw this out on a circle, the inside the circle is the world, any human being that's ever lived. And inside that circle is justice. What every, being, every human being that's ever lived that lives inside that circle is going to get justice. But then there are some that God chooses to give grace to. Um, uh, as Paul says, according to his pleasure, according to his will. and. So there are people that will either get justice or get grace. No one will get injustice. No one gets injustice. And that's why the series coming out of COVID and George Floyd and the election was called Welcome to the Wrestle. Yes. Because <laughs> the, these are things to wrestle with. Yeah, these are things to wrestle with. And again, they are complex. Um, and that's where I'm, I, I want to be careful. Um, like we, we're going to talk about these issues because they're in the Bible. Mm-hmm. We have to. Because we go verse by verse. We go verse by verse. <laughs> but I want to be careful when people say, well, I don't think God predetermines things. It, it's, it's as if there are things in Scripture that people don't like. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, he clearly says he does. If mm-hmm. God chose before the foundation of the world, and then in verse in verse four, he says he predestined us. Clearly, he chose. Predestination is a biblical idea. Again, what people have a problem with that is God predestined some to heaven, he predestined some to hell. No, we don't believe that. Um, in that double predestination, like he's just, you know, like, well, I don't like you, I like you. I, no, that's not, that's not the biblical understanding. God didn't have to choose anybody to hell. We chose that ourselves. We chose that. Mm-hmm. Everybody without God chooses freely a life without God. And that's the point. But God will either judge those people or he'll have grace on those that he chose. 
So just because people don't like the concept of predestination, we have to be very careful that we don't redefine it, that we, or, or we try to subtract it from our theology because it's so complex, we can't understand it, and then we can't comprehend a God that would do that. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I, th- I, I say that, and we were actually talking about this beforehand, we have to be super careful in how we interpret the Bible because, and this is going to be unnecessarily controversial, and I don't mean it to be, but that's exactly what liberal theologians do talking about marriage or same-sex relationships. Mm-hmm. There are words in the Bible that mean what they mean, and they have meant that for thousands of years. People have under, take the word, you know, in our translation, homosexual or same-sex relationships. It means what it means. Um, and people will argue, well, that word, you know, it wasn't put into the Bible until the early 1900s. That's true. It wasn't because that wasn't even a word mm-hmm. before the early 1900s. And so once it became a word, then we put it in our English translations. However, what that word means has been what those Greek words and Hebrew words mean for thousands of years. But we live in a culture today that says, well, I don't like that it means that. So let me try to find a way to get an alternate viewpoint, an alternate def- Let me redefine this word. And what I would say to my Christian brothers and sisters says, well, if you want to start trying to redefine predestination, that's just like redefining marriage. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. And I think that's why we have to be super careful. And again, I'm not trying to point fingers at anybody. I'm just saying the same process that liberal and progressive Christians and theologians do with other difficult texts is this same thing. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm saying is we don't want to do that. No, we don't want to start redefining terms. What we want to do is read it, and then let that challenge our assumptions. And what I mean by that is this. Maybe we are wrong in thinking that predestination means God is unfair, that he owes everybody the same. Maybe our presumptions are wrong, so we need to challenge my assumptions. We need to challenge um, how I understand this. And that's why I think it's important for us to have this conversation and go through these texts because it's in there. And this is not the only text that it's in. It's all over. I mean, you mentioned Abraham at the, at the top of the hour, you know, <laughs> God chose Abraham and there was nothing in Abram at the time that deserved. He was a 75 year old moon worshiper who couldn't have children, but God chose him. Um, because he wanted to be gracious to him and show, I can do something for you that you could never do for yourself. Why did God choose him? Because Abraham had a lot to offer? No, he had Mm -hmm. nothing. So it's all throughout the text. It's all throughout the scriptures about God choosing. And and here's what I just want to say to people. If you're uncomfortable with it, I promise you, you want a God that chooses. Yes. Because unless he chose, you would be stuck in your sin. Yeah. And there's, I don't even want to say nuance, there's even more evidence of this just from uh, the way you wrapped it up uh, this past weekend. But I can look at my own personal testimony. I can't look at anybody else's personal testimony. It was so radical. So the moment before somebody told me about Jesus, shared the gospel with me, I, 
I was a Christ hater. Yeah. And then I said yes to Jesus in an instant. Yeah. So I did not choose that. No. <laughs> there, there's, there's no way that I could have gone from a blaspheming Christ hater to a lover of Jesus in an instant were it not for some outside force. Exactly. So I can look at my own conversion and go, oh, yes, predestined before the foundation of the earth. He chose me. I wouldn't have had the power to say yes were it not for the Holy Spirit in me to say yes. Absolutely. And I think, and, and th again, this is where people wrestle, and I even had this conversation with people um, recently. People say, well, I don't, I don't like to say that God chose. I like to say he drew, he drew us, like the Holy Spirit draws us. Okay. That's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Bible uses that word mm -hmm. that if Jesus said, if you lift me up, the Spirit will draw men to myself. Okay. But what does the word draw mean? Um, and I talked about this in a message before. That word... Uh, we like to think of it in English, like God is wooing us, mm -hmm. like God's romancing us, like, Hey, come here. Right. You know, yeah. like I'm, I'm doing all this amazing mm -hmm. stuff, but you still have to choose. Well, the word draw doesn't mean that it, and I've used this example before and actually Sproul used it. It's the word. If I'm going to draw up water out of a well, what am I doing? I'm sending a bucket down. I'm lifting the water up and I'm bringing it up. The water's not doing anything. I don't sit at the top of the well with the bucket and like, here, water, 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 water. I'm drawing you in. I'm yeah. No, I'm coming down to you. I'm mm -hmm. lifting, I'm scooping you up and I'm lifting you up mm -hmm. out of the well. Yeah. That secular uh, definition of draw is de-godding God in that, in that place. Yes. It's, and again, and this is where, and I get it. Mm -hmm. I understand the wrestle. Um, because once I say that God drew this person, but he didn't draw that person, mm -hmm. that's when we go back to fairness. Well, why? If God drew this one, he owed to draw. No, he didn't. That's where we have to be careful. All God owed that person is the same thing that he owed this person, which was justice. That's all he owed them. But he had grace on one and gave judgment to the next. I mean, Paul deals with this in Romans 9, 10, 11. Um, he said, if, if, does God owe grace to all? No. Mm -hmm. Is there any unjustness in God? No, God, heaven forbid. Right. So again, we have to, instead of trying to challenge the Bible, we should challenge our understanding of it. Excellent. Is what I'm trying to say. Excellent. So I'm totally fine if people say the Holy Spirit is drawing people to him, to them, to God, to Jesus, mm -hmm. because that drawing is an act of grace. Now, this is where theologians like to nuance things. Well, he draws them halfway. And then the then the we as a as a believer, like the, the this term would be operative or cooperative mm -hmm. uh grace. Like is grace cooperative or is it operative? And what that means is if it's operative, then God is doing it all himself. If it's cooperative, we're helping God. And this is where again nuances matter. What I'm saying is it's operative in that he comes to you and he gives you grace and he's drawing you. And it becomes cooperative. Yes, you do choose. I do choose. This is the synergistic idea. But what I'm saying is he enabled your choice. It's already done by the time you choose. Exactly. Well, he, 
Yet he had grace to you. And mm-hmm. his grace, this is what Paul argues, in my opinion, in most theologians' opinion in Ephesians 2. He says it's by grace. And then he says, through faith, and this is a gift of God. What Paul is saying there is your grace, grace and your faith was a gift. So yes, I do choose Christ. At some point, I have to choose Christ. What we're saying is he enabled my choice. Though. The grace part is fully operative. Yeah, the grace part is fully operative. Faith is cooperative. I, I cooperate with God at that point, but I do that by grace. He gave me grace. So the point is this, as simple as I can say it. Without God, we would only choose sin. God comes to us in grace, operatively, he regenerates us, then we choose. So we do choose, but that grace enables that choice. He, he enabled us to do what we couldn't do, which was to choose him. Okay. And so, go ahead. Well, and this, the only thing I was going to say to this as well is what people forget is like the Reformation. We talk a lot. Uh, uh, oh, I shouldn't say we talk a lot about that, but the conversation is about whether you're reformed or not. And typically the viewpoint of grace precedes faith, that is the reformed view. And it is. But people forget that the biggest conversation at the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, was not between this. It was between faith and works. Mm -hmm. That's where people, it was the Catholic Church's understanding of works, where Luther came along and said, no, we're justified by faith alone. Um. So what we're talking about is how did faith come about? Yes. We're saying faith came about by grace. What that issue was dealing with was, is it faith plus works Mm -hmm. equals justification? And the reason why I'm saying that is people will say, oh, I'm not reformed. So you believe you're saved by faith and works? (laughs) This is, again, Mm -hmm. it's like, what do you mean? Yep. Well, no. Well, then you're reformed. Um. And then said, well, I'm not a Calvinist. Hold on, I didn't say that, because Calvin wasn't a Calvinist either. This came about later after his followers put together this system. So I don't like labels. I don't like terms. I just prefer biblical. And I don't mean that cheeky. Like, if you read your Bible, you can't get away from the doctrine of predestination. You can't get away from the fact that God is sovereign. He chose. And you want a God that's sovereign. You don't want a God that leaves the universe up to human choice. You don't, because we will never choose God. And this is where I think people say, well, I, I, okay, I agree, faith alone, we're saved by faith, we're not saved by works, but that doesn't mean that me just asking God to save me, like faith precedes grace, is a work, and it is. Because you're making the assumption that without God, you would actually want to choose him. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Without is which is what you were saying. Without God, we would not want to choose Him. Right. That's the issue, um, because we would think that we know better. But something happened in you that enabled you to choose Him, and and that something was a lifetime of you making bad choices, mm-hmm. and you seeing the evidence of that. You seeing, oh my gosh, my life is wrecked and ruined. And then in that moment, God said are you tired of you choosing? <laughs> and he chose, and mm-hmm. then he enabled you to choose. Mm-hmm. Which, which leads to the epilogue of, of these verses. Yeah. There's a God. 
it's not us. He's no. not, he's not us. Um, we are thankful for that. Uh, we often put ourselves, all of us put ourselves on the throne yeah, and, uh, either co God with him or take the place of him. Uh, but we know truthfully, we are not God. So which one of these theories, which one of these, uh, grace and faith, faith and grace, which one gives God more glory? Exactly. And that's how we ended the message. Obviously the one where God chooses God great in his grace, um, is the one that glorifies him. And that's what Paul does in verse six. When he says after coming out of verse, remember verse three, he says, worship verse four and five. He says, why we worship. Mm -hmm. And we didn't even talk about this as, I mean, we briefly hit it, but Verse four and five is talking more about the goal, as I pointed out, more than the grounds. Why did he do this? That we would be holy, that we would be his, which then leads us back to verse six, praise his glorious grace. So the reason why I'm so passionate about this and, and why a lot of people are passionate about this is not because, and sadly, a lot of people that hold this viewpoint are arrogant. They are just jerks because they feel like they've come to, they have solved the riddle of this complex problem. And I don't want to come across that way at all, which is why I try to be very gracious if someone disagrees with mm -hmm. me. Um, but what I do want to say is, and how I ended the message is, one of these viewpoints glorifies God more than the other. One highlights man's choice, one highlights God's choice. And while we can agree to disagree, my final argument is the reason why I choose God's choice is because it glorifies him more. Mm -hmm. I would just rather have the theological position that centers God, that highlights God and his glory over man and his choices. Um, now people may think that that, well, that brings up a whole lot of theological problems. And again, I've had a conversation with a guy this weekend we've had this conversation. Well, if that means this, then it means this. Hold on a second. We have to be very careful, you know, because um, what do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. And we just can't make the assumption that somehow if God choosing, we can't make the assumption that that somehow makes him deficient in any way or that makes him bad or wrong right. or, uh, or not good, you know, to where the the conclusion Paul came to was no, that makes him glorious pray to the praise of his glorious grace, you know, and that word glorious can mean amazing as well. And so we, we talk about the song amazing grace, but it really doesn't make grace amazing. If I chose it mm. as much as it does, what makes it amazing is I didn't deserve it and I didn't choose it, but I got it. Yeah. If, if we chose it, singing amazing grace is almost, um, it makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. It highlights that it was amazing, but really I'm just as amazing because I chose it. Right. You know, and again, that's why I ended it with people. If we're not careful, actually the position of faith precedes grace will produce pride because what you're saying is the reason why that person's not saved is they didn't make a choice like I did. Mm. And if they would have just made a choice like I did, then they can have what I have. Well, that highlights your choice over it does 
God's grace. And what I would say is that's where we have to be careful because it leads to pride. And the Bible is very clear. Um, and Paul does this in Ephesians 2, and I mentioned it. He says, by grace through faith in this is so that no one can boast. So the only boasting we have as Christians is we are saved by grace. That's what makes it amazing. There's nothing in me, nothing in any of us that deserved this. All I deserved was hell. All I deserved was justice, but I got grace. That's amazing. And praise God Mm -hmm. for that. That's the only reason why I'm in Christ and not in Adam and not in hell is God was gracious to me. Mm. And I would just rather live there Mm -hmm. with the complexities of it than live in a place that highlights somehow my choice or I'm, I am where I, even if again, even if people are like, why well, didn't, I didn't do, I just made one choice. Well, I, okay. Even that one choice though is a good work mm-hmm. and I'm not saved by my good works. No matter how small they yeah. are, I'm yeah. saved by grace. And, and I, I have so many questions. We don't have time. We have another podcast coming up in two weeks. I know. Yeah. We, go, <laughs> we, can, we can talk about it. I, I, I want to get, I want to get into, cause we're going to talk more about predestination. We're going to talk more about the doctrines of grace. Yeah. Um, and these these next few weeks, these next few months in Ephesians, it's it's what we believe. Yes. And so make sure that you are attending. Uh, if you have friends that maybe are at churches that don't get into the Bible like this, invite them. Yes. Invite them. Uh, to if, to that, let me say this, yeah. and I, I and I know you won't ultimately mind this interruption, even though I'm interrupting I, you. I don't mind. But this, I'm glad you said that because one of the modern misconceptions of this, what we're talking about was, well, if God chooses, then we don't have to do anything. Mm. Then, then why even share my faith? Then why evangelize? Why mm-hmm. preach? Well, cause God chose that's how they're saved. Again, this is the point. If God is sovereign, it doesn't mean I'm not responsible. That doesn't mean that. That's right. And if anything, my belief that God, cho- and I said this at the first week, if God could save Paul, he can save all. Well, when I say that, people think I'm automatically assuming uh, or I'm taking more of an Arminian position. Well, oh, you just said all. Well, God saves. God can save all. Why do you think that the doctrines of grace means that God can only save some? Right. No, the point I'm making is he can save any kind of person. He can say, like you, you were a Christ hater. Now you're a Christ lover. Paul was a Christian killer. Now he's a Christian maker. Mm-hmm. So what I'm, when I say if God can save Paul, he can save all, what I'm saying is there's no person that is outside of God's ability to save them, no matter how bad they are. So if anything, to me, the doctrine of election or predestination makes me more courageous in evangelism, not less. I don't sit back and say, well, if God's going to save him, he's got to do it. No. I say, you know what? I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus because he can overcome anybody's resistance to them, mm. to him. So to your point, we should invite everybody. We should be confident because God, there's no one that God can't save. And that's what bugs me when people say, well, if he's going to save him, I'm just going to let him do it. Well, then you're not reading your Bible. No. Because no. he said, no, you go do it. Yes. But go do it in the confidence that I can save that person. Mm-hmm. And this is what's funny. Why else would we pray? Like, well, then if God's not sovereign, don't pray. Because what are you praying? Someone who doesn't know Jesus, what are you praying? 
you're praying, God, would you awaken them? Would you get their attention? Would you, oh, wait, wait, you're, you're praying for God to be gracious to them. <laughs> you're praying for God to do something for them that they couldn't, you're praying for God to draw them. Well, he can't do that if it's all their choice. Right. You know, so that's my mm-hmm. point. Pray people. And I, I can't stand this when people say, pray like a Calvinist, share your faith like an Arminian. No, do it all. Mm-hmm. Like God is sovereign. Yes. Pray for them and talk to them and invite them because he can overcome their resistance to him. And Jesus said to. And, and Jesus said to. But again, not only did Jesus say to, but the reason why Jesus said to do that is because he can save them. That's the point. Yeah. So I don't know. To, so to me, I don't know why anyone would share their faith if they're just dependent upon that person to choose because that person won't choose. But to me, I'll share my faith or I'll preach the gospel in a sermon and I'll go after it because I believe God can save a David Stein who hates him. Like God can overcome his resistance to him because he does that. So to me, again, that's another pet peeve I have, which is why I'm stressing it now. People, when people wrongly assume this doctrine means, oh, I don't have to share my faith now because God's going to do it. He's already chosen them. Well, you don't know who he's chosen. No. I, I don't know who he's chosen. And I, I don't know if he's going to save my brother. I don't know if he's going to save my mom. But I'm not going to stop because no, I, no. I saw him save my dad. Exactly. Yeah. And not only are you not going to stop, you're going to keep doing it confidently because you know he can. Yes. Um, that's the point is, to me, these doctrines should make us more bold, more confident, um, not less and not more complacent. So that's where I was going with what you were saying. Like, yeah, yes, no. invite people, not only to church, but share your faith with them. Yes. Um, talk to them about this. Yes, obviously inviting them to a gathering is a good thing. It's not the only thing. Um, but do it confidently knowing that the worst person out there, God can save, because he does. Mm-hmm. Yep. We'll talk more about this over the next few months and and more encouragement for you because it is something that everybody needs encouragement to do this, uh, some tools to do this, and by the power of the Spirit, yeah. we can do this. Yeah, and he does do it, and he is doing it. Mm-hmm. And and I'm fine with people with the I'm fine with the statement that says, "The more people I tell, the more are elected." I'm fine with that. Keep telling them. Yep. Yeah. Because the point is, does God need you to save them? No. Mm-hmm. Can he save them without you? Yes. But for some weird reason, he's chosen to include us in it. So to me, how fun is that? It's, it's, I get to be a part of what God's mm-hmm, doing yeah. in someone else's life. That's mm-hmm. amazing. It is. It is. Um, really great stuff uh, today on the podcast. And uh, if you want to know everything we said, uh, just write down everything we said. Yeah. For, <laughs> or for, a, listen. for a complete transcript yeah. uh, of everything. And, and hey, it's okay to re-watch the messages. They're on the website usually by Monday afternoon. I re-watch them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we all do because of the complexities and because all three gatherings are a little different. They are. And yeah. we never know which one's going to wind up on the website. Uh, maybe it's one that you didn't go to. Also, um, this is the kind of stuff that happens in community groups. Yeah. Uh, we just had our group launch. We were able to place 137 people in groups, which is incredible. Um, 
actually it was 161 people mm. in, in groups total uh, yeah. across the church. Uh, so that is uh, really awesome. And we have another 100 plus people on a waiting list to yeah, get into crazy. groups. So we always are, are, are needing uh, people to lead groups. Yeah. So you can talk about the verses that are in the message. That's what they're going to talk about in their groups this week. Yeah. Uh, Romans. <laughs> Ephesians. <laughs> Ephesians Well, one. Romans was in there. Yeah. yeah. Ephesians 1, uh, 3 through 6. All right. Our producer, of course, is Brian Damero. Circleback. Okay. Our video technician uh, is Neon Keon Sadishi. Our key grip, Jakub Pushikovsky. Uh, we, we have some very wild names. We do. We do. Those team. are all real yeah. names. Yeah. The, the next, the next ones are not. Uh, we know that our head of that doc- we, know of. we know that our head of doctrine and theology is Thea Logan. Mm-hmm. Um, our chief evangelist is Salvation, and he would be one who would just say, "Go out and tell people That's about right. Jesus." All this comes from yeah. Me. Our backsliding prevention officer is Luke Warm. Our director of Swedish witnessing is Bjorn, Bjorn again. again. <laughs> our expert on. Uh, Russian eschatology, Pitoff Hell. <laughs> our director of holiness is mortification. Our staff counselor is Les Moody. Our giving coordinator is Jenna Rossity. Jenna Rossity. Uh, our director of tithing is Tim Percent. Um, Are Jenna and Tim married? I wonder. Um, maybe. Okay. Maybe. Related. I guess maybe. they're not married. They have different last names. They work in the same department. Oh, the same department. Yeah. yeah. Uh, nativity coordinator uh, from France, uh, Beth Lechem. Um <laughs> French. <laughs> uh, our co-pastors of plagues are Manny Locust and Lance Boyles. Our eschatology professor is Mark O. The Beast. Our director of communication is Bernie Bush. Our director, our direct that, that was written by uh, Jimmy Domini. Yeah, uh, okay. yeah. Our, our director of who is Jakub Pushikovsky's father-in-law. father-in-law. Yeah. yeah, yes, yeah. It's like a tapestry. <laughs> Grace. Yes. Um, the director of doctrine of election. I am chosen. I am chosen. He goes only by his initials. Uh, the sabbatical. Like will I am. The sabbatical director, Trip Long. Uh, <laughs> that just tickles me. Uh, our staff ophthalmologist is uh, Arthur N. Perfector. Arthur N. Perfector. It's from Hebrews 12. And our predestination expert. Oh, no. there we go. Here we our go. predestination expert, Grace in faith grace <laughs> in faith <laughs> that is the show here are the two best things you could ever do trust god take it see you next time